everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rock and Retrospect. I'm your host, Nick Bamback. Today, I am joined by a friend and a fellow library employee who I've known for many years. It's Paul K. Cabine. How's it going, Paul? Great. And you got my last name right. I- I'm excited. Thanks for having me, Nick. I know you said before you recorded that it was literally like a one in 100 chance that I would get it right or that most people get it right. So well, I'm just happy. To be fair, you practice quite a bit. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's just because I but, want to make sure that I sound very punctual and very smart to our listeners, which I hope they think that. But, you know, we got to make sure we get the names right of our guests, especially our guests of honor. So Paul is a public speaker and he has worked in library programming for many years. Right, Paul? Tell us a little bit about yeah. yourself. Yeah, I'm an adult programs coordinator at my local public library. So I book a variety of educational and entertainment programs for adults of all ages, which is a very wide age range, 18 to 100. So, I mean, that's everything from historical presentations to concerts to bingo to book clubs. And I uh, actually do a lot of virtual programs and podcasts and author interviews and interviews with all sorts of community members. So usually I'm on the other side of this scenario when it comes to kind of long form content where I'm the MC or host or whatever leading the conversation. So this is kind of a rare experience for me being on the other side. I mean, I've been interviewed in the local paper several times, but that takes like three minutes. So, and this is going to be an hour plus. So, Oh yeah, we, we, we do it long form on rock and retrospect. And we're very glad to have you on the show. I've known Paul for many years. We've kind of exchanged emails and text messages and social media, just about music and our love of Taylor Swift and just (laughs) similar like indie rock music taste. So it's always fun talking to Paul. And uh, I invited him on the show today to talk about one of his favorite bands, and that's Blink-182. So, Paul, what is your earliest memory of of this band? Well, well, before I get to that, I've got two disclaimers for you since you're having me as a first-time guest. And first is going to be that I have this very large social cat and he's vocal and he'll probably make several cameo appearances with his meows and interrupt as if he were, you know, some kind of little hooligan. And if he were a human child, I think he would be going through his pop punk phase right now. And his favorite band wouldn't be Blink-182. It would be Simple Plan. And he'd be screaming, I'm just a cat and my life is a nightmare just because he wants his second can of wet food. (laughs) And my second disclaimer is that I go on lots of tangents like I just did, but they usually always circle back to the central point. That's usually how I do this podcast, and that's why it usually gets the best moments from the show is the tangents. <laughs> but they do go back to the topic at hand most of the time. I can't guarantee it's all the time, but the good what majority was the topic of the again? I don't know. What, what is the topic again? Some band blink, some number. Yeah, some random ass number that they just came up with that doesn't really make sense, <laughs> apparently. Uh, so, yeah, what is your earliest memory of uh, Blink-182? Well, that really gets to the core of why I wanted to participate in the episode, because Blink-182 was really my gateway band into music, and certainly into rock music. Uh, so I don't know what the typical age is for most kids or preteens when they start getting into popular music, But it feels like it's probably a little later on average for boys than girls, or at least that probably felt like the case when you and I were growing up in the 90s and 2000s, because for girls, it's more of the norm to become fans of 
pop stars and boy bands early on, you know, Britney, Christina, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, et cetera. But for boys, it wasn't cool to be into that, you know, dumb gender norm stuff. And, and now as an adult, I, I love pop music as much as any other genre. But as a kid, you know, I was aware it existed, but it was kind of, ew, that's for girls. Even though I secretly had a crush on Britney Spears because they showed the Baby One More Time video on Disney Channel all the time. But uh, m- meanwhile, while all this was going on, millions of immature boys, little boy band hating boys, uh, discovered that there was a band called Blink-182 and they were like a boy band, but a boy band for boys. So that isn't personally how I discovered them necessarily. I personally had a pretty non-traditional childhood overall, which I won't get too deep into. But there was like this three-year period where I was homeschooled on and off in third, fourth, and fifth grade. And I didn't really get to interact with a lot of other kids. And that was like pre-high-speed internet era. So my only pop culture exposure was like Nintendo Power Magazine and TV, of course, and on Disney and Nickelodeon, they weren't playing Blink-182. So I didn't know anything about music. And, and then when I finally went to school in sixth grade, I'm like 11 years old. And these other boys keep repeating these funny but stupid lyrics. And I'm saying, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys saying? And they're like, you don't even know Blink-182? And so I figured out it was a band. And I hadn't even listened to them yet. But the peer pressure got me. So I go home and I tell my grandma that I really want to get their CD. And I didn't even have a CD player at the time, but we were kind of poor, but my grandma spoiled me whenever she could. So we go to Walmart and I get a Walkman and there's a few Blink-182 albums there. And this was late 2003, probably. So the self-titled slash untitled album had just come out and it had the smiley face with the X's for eyes and the five arrows And that album art really appealed to me. And I've always loved that smiley face. And so that was my first ever CD. And I don't think I realized when I got it that that was going to be by Blink-182 standards, you know, a lot more serious and dark and moody compared to the albums that had come before that. But that was actually a really great fit for me because even as a preteen boy, you know, that toilet humor type of stuff, I thought it was kind of funny, but also realized it was kind of cringy. And so since I had spent, you know, a few years being homeschooled alone, I was very introverted at the time. So that more introspective and melancholic tone got me really invested into what I was listening to and want more music like that. And they did have some, you know, dark content before that, like Adam song uh, from Minima of the State. You know, that's a very emotional song. But the 2003 album is just really serious from start to finish. So... That's how I got into Blink-182. Well, that was a really wonderful story that related to your childhood, but also how you discovered that band. I kind of snickered a little here in your story because part of what you said is exactly what was my introduction to Blink-182. I remember in 1999, I was about 10 years old at that time, TRL was the biggest thing on MTV. And I loved all that. So my listeners know when I've went on podcast to talk about my uh, love of that era, even though it's like guilty pleasure music. I don't believe in guilty pleasure music, by the way. I think that if it's music that moves you and, and you like it, I don't think you should feel guilty at all. My first exposure to Blink-182 was through TRL. And I remember all the small things, that music video, because it's basically a parody of all the boy band music videos, like 90 Degrees, In Sync, 
the Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching this and I kept thinking like, what the hell is wrong with these three guys? Like they're demented and they're just so bizarre and uh, so playful. And But I was intrigued and I actually got Edema of the State, I think the following year or maybe that year. And I was just blown away by their catchiness. And I think what struck me about Blink-182, even at an early age, is their songs are very short. So even like on Adam of the State, Adam's song is like give or take four minutes, but all the rest are really two and a half, really three minute songs, which is kind of like a perfect length for pop punk band like Blink-182. Yeah, that was my first memory. And I just remember them always being naked in their music videos too. <laughs> and even rewatching them earlier today, like what's my age again and mm-hmm. all the small things. And I think there's another one. I'm just like, they really just can't keep their clothes on in these music <laughs> videos. Like what is going on with these guys? So. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You mentioned the short songs, you know, that's kind of the standard for pop songs. Now things mm-hmm. that can be almost bingeable in a way, um, that really kind of started restarted again with uh, Lil Nas X with Old Town Road. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's it's almost as if you listen to it and then you don't get enough because it's so short. So it's almost a strategy to get more streams. So you have to go back and listen to it again to just to to feel like you can get it out of your head. And I feel like that trend was present back in these early mid pop punk era songs, especially. With, with Blink-182 and similar bands. Absolutely. And I always liked how playful they were, too. Like, they didn't take themselves mm-hmm. seriously. And I'm thinking of another pop-punk band, like Green Day, who take mm-hmm. themselves very seriously, almost to a fault. And I mean, I'm not knocking Green Day. They're they're a great band in their own right. But I feel like Blink-182, it's, like, way more playful. And like, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's part of their appeal as well. And that's why I've always kind of liked, yeah. liked them a lot, because I feel that... Rock and roll is just supposed to be about fun and you're just supposed to have a good time. And I always thought, Paul, and and I've always said this in um, on the show, the best songs are three minutes. Like if you could do a song in three minutes, that's all you need and move on. I mean, there are great songs that be like 20 minutes or six or whatever, but I think a really good pop song could be done in three minutes. Also, there's such simple songs like the guitar riffs, the lyrics, they're very simplistic and that's part and we're going to talk about this much later of course but i think they're very influential to so many later day rock Mm -hmm. artists and even beyond rock like pop and alternative like it's it's kind of shocking because when they came out at that like 1999 i don't know people took them that seriously they were just like another band it's like weird to say but now when they were at coachella it was it was almost like who's a band that reunited that was like a really big deal a few years ago like um maybe not reunited but like the strokes like the strokes were just another band sort of but then like it's like they had this huge tour and you're just like wow like go strokes like and i love the strokes that was actually my album of the day today for listeners that uh you know but uh yeah so anyway um have you ever seen uh blink 182 live yeah one time it was in 2017 and Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm from Arkansas and the show was in Little Rock and, and that was our, that's our biggest arena venue in Little Rock. So we're not really a state known for getting a ton of big shows, mm-hmm. but at, at, at this time, Blink-182, they certainly 
or not at the most popular point in their career. Um, they've had a rebound since then, since the original band members have reunited, but that was the Matt Skiba era without Tom DeLonge. And I, I enjoyed the show, uh, and I, but I would certainly love to see them again now that Mark, Tom, and Travis are back together. Um, my wife and I strongly considered getting tickets for their current tour, but man, they're so expensive. And, you know, since they're not coming anywhere in our area, we kind of have to plan a multi-day trip to Atlanta or something to make it worth it. So if they stay together, if the original lineup stays together and they do a second tour, hopefully have a new album with this lineup in the next two or three years, I'll almost certainly go. But yeah. Your prices were insane because I yeah. looked at that and I was like, holy shit, like, what? <laughs> like this is a band that you probably could have seen for much less when they were in their prime even in like the late nineties. And when I saw tickets for that, cause I was genuinely curious about them too. And I looked at, I was like, okay, maybe that yeah. <laughs> year or two when it hopefully uh, goes down a little, maybe they'll take a page from like the cure and uh, Robert Smith and all his saltiness to basically give ticket master the finger and <laughs> like give one for the fans for a change. I've never well, seen liquid 82 live, but that's a band I would always Wanted to see because they just seem like they would be such a fun show. And how many songs, even without um, Tom DeLonge there, how many songs did, would you say they played in, in a show? Um, I mean, it was pretty much the the greatest hits and greatest deep cuts. I'd say the twenty. Um, you know, it was several years ago, so I don't remember. But I don't remember any obvious omissions that I was really anticipating not being played. It was an interesting opening act that I thought was a strange pair, which was Empire of the Sun. Oh, really? Yeah. I would never put those two together. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I don't even remember seeing them on the building, billing, excuse me. It was a surprising kind of revelation when they stepped out as the opening act because I, I was familiar with them, you know, a couple of their songs, but just kind of shocked. Yeah, that's a, that's a shocker. But now that they're back, it's like the world's the oyster, the original like, or the famous trio, because Travis Parker wasn't in, always in the band. So I was, I, I've always had to say the original trio, but that's like, they're, they're really not, which leads sure. me actually to talk about the band's formation and like the band name. I'm just fascinated by how they got together. So Blink-182 was formed in 1992 in San Diego. Let me ask you, is it true that apparently that they started because one of them got suspended or is that like an urban legend? There are so many urban legends surrounding Blink-182. I mean, most of them involve the number 182, like we mentioned earlier. But uh, it's hard to separate myth from reality. Yeah, I, I was just curious because I've heard with Blink-182, it's the number of times they say, fuck in Scarface. That's the one I always remember in interviews. Uh -huh. And then I think it was because there was another band called Blink, I think, and they had to change it to something else uh -huh. and then they just added 182 out of randomness i i think but they've never given a definitive answer right no, not that i'm aware of i i have not seen anything i remember one time going down a wikipedia rabbit hole reading all of the explanations for the 182 i i think um one of them was the number of miles one of the band members had to drive to get to his girlfriend um but the, the most um common answer i see that seems to be valid is the band name blink that already existed like you mentioned 
The other thing that I've heard Tom DeLong say on a talk show, it might have been James Corbin. This was many years ago that we've all been pronouncing it wrong, apparently. So it's supposed to be Blink 18-2, which is like that kind uh-huh. of weirdly makes sense because they're like pretty immature. 18 part two. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what to believe, but I think that that's partly, I guess, it's like these conspiracy theories from fans that I mean, we will never probably get a, a straight answer. And they probably don't remember at this point. They're just like, oh, yeah, we just think they're so like we need to at this point. They embrace it. And I mean, they played a lot of different shows throughout Southern California mm-hmm. and they worked on independent labels. And, you know, they, they sort of kind of came along and then they got signed to a, a major deal at was it MCA or Interscope? MCA. M- MCA. Yeah. Um, no. yeah, well, they had a, a debut album, Cheshire Cat, and there were a couple demo albums, but you could almost consider them getting signed to MCA to be kind of a reboot when in 97 Dude Ranch came out. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say that's when kind of the classic representative sound started. I mean, at least a more polished version of it. I mean, certainly Cheshire Cat and that those demos and the tracks on there were... Uh, you could almost argue they're unlistenable um, by by how low the quality is. But then Dude Ranch hits, and that's really when they started to get a lot of attention and recognition. Yeah, Cheshire Cat is really not that good of an album. That's their first first album. And I, I remember listening to it years ago, and I was like, and then like Dude Ranch is like their major label debut where they're a little bit more polished and they started working with the manager, Rick DeVoe, and he worked with um, The Offspring. That's That was one of his big mm-hmm. clients. So it kind of weirdly makes sense because in this era, The Offspring were very popular and they were one of the uh, preeminent figures in pop punk as well as Green Day. Yeah, then Dude Ranch came out and I'm trying to think of like a way to say this, but I feel like they became popular more because of the Warp Tour. Like they, they're probably the band that I put together with the Warp Tour more than almost any other band or artist I could think of. Do you think that's a fair case to say? I, I definitely agree with that. Absolutely. It, it's definitely, it's like peanut butter and jelly bands, Warp Tour and Blink-182. I mean, they referenced the Warp Tour in one of the songs, like the rock show, I think. Yes. Is it the, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. Like, I'm like trying to ask you, like, wait, is it like, are we sure it's the rock show? Uh, so, and I'm curious, Paul, who are some artists that you think Blink-182 were influenced by? Well, I know they have claimed that their biggest influence was Descendants. Um, I believe beyond that, I've seen Ramones, um, of course, and then uh, kind of an eclectic mix, you know, the Beach Boys of, of all bands, but... I think but that, I, you know, for them, it was a lot of hardcore punk and a lot mm-hmm. of pop punk. So if like I had to guess, I would say people like you know, even Green Day, you could argue, because they were there before them. But I would also mm-hmm. say like Bad Religion or the Adolescents or even like Billy Idol and like kind of like the bravado kind of sound. Mm-hmm. That That's what I would think. And also, I would say The Offspring, because The Offspring, a lot of their songs, they... We're very playful. 
Although Pretty Father for a White Guy, for the record, is a shitty song. I hate that song (laughs) and I will skip that song anytime it's ever on the radio or ever on a playlist. I hate that song. And I remember when that was big on TRL, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, what what are they doing? Um, Yeah, yeah, those little voices at the beginning just rub me the wrong way. I I feel you. I I don't (sighs) have this horrible of a reaction to it as you do. I don't think I would turn it off. I think there's some enjoyment to be had there, but those little voices at the beginning are just so cringy. It's a very cringy song, and you're just doing. Also, the Buzzcocks is the other one, and I think the Buzzcocks because the Buzzcocks also were early uh, punk in like the late seventies, and Pete Shelley, he just knew how to write really good disposable, like good disposable pop songs that just you have a style and you have a specific write-in format that you do. And I thought he was a genius, to be quite honest. Yeah. I found a short list here of bands they've directly named in interviews and then oh, sure. autobiographies. So they claimed the Descendants to be their greatest influence on a number of occasions. They also named the Beatles, the Ramones, the Beach Boys, the Cure, Depeche Mode, U2, Stiff Little Fingers, Dinosaur Jr., Bad Religion, Refused, Fugazi, Screeching Weasel. Okay, I can see some of those bands being influential to Blink-182. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, um, In fact, uh, speaking of The Cure, and you, you had mentioned Robert Smith earlier, uh, are you aware that there is a collab with Blink-182 and Robert Smith? Yes, I have heard about it. Tell me about. Tell me more, Paul. So it was on their self-titled album, which was my first Blink-182 album and first album period called It's All of This, and it is the 12th track on the album featuring Robert Smith. It's pretty good. It's not my favorite, personal favorite, but I remember it getting some good critic feedback. And if Robert Smith is a very talented individual, he's very particular on who he collaborates with. So I would look at it like a badge of honor in the yeah. case of Blink-182. Yeah. And I really love that album from start to finish. Back in the day when I was listening to it all the time, when it was one of my only albums, I knew all the words and I Miss You was my first favorite song. And... You know, I needed more, and luckily I had this backlog of a few other albums to eventually get to, but they were nothing like this album, but I still enjoyed them quite a bit. They're just so much fun, like we mentioned. And and from there, you know, I kind of started to branch out into every other direction and genre of music. They really got me down a track of collecting music and learning about it. And, you know, I no longer say that Blink-182 is my favorite band, I don't think I have one, but they were certainly my first favorite band. And no matter how much I've outgrown some of their content, especially their earlier content, that vibe will always be there for me, even mm-hmm. for the immature stuff. It's just fun. I absolutely agree. It's like, I like it because you can just turn it on and you, it, it's not that it's mindless per se, but it's just like, it puts you in a good mood and like they're mm-hmm. just cheery pop songs. And I think that that's really what The Cure is all about. Like it's funny because The Cure is one of my favorite bands, and I think that what made Robert Smith and The Cure so great was that he knew how to write really good pop songs, like just like Heaven and um, Love Song. Like those are perfect songs in my opinion. Yeah, um, love those. yeah. and Blake Way Two working with him even in two thousand three, like that's 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 I think absolutely great uh, for them to to work with uh, a legend like Robert Smith. Who yeah, was it's- influential to them. And they did very few collabs. 
another one that pops in my head, this was actually a simple plan song that they were featured on was I do anything. It may have just been Mark Hoppus on that one, but Blink-182 as a band, just very few collabs. Yeah, that they, they really don't collaborate now that I'm thinking about it. I can't think of any more offhand. Although, didn't they work with rappers? Um, I, Travis Barker did and does quite a bit. Um, and that's something I'm sure we'll get into some of their side projects when various band members went solo. But um, I think they all have a healthy respect for hip-hop. And Travis Barker, he recently has appeared in a lot of music videos and doing drums on a lot of major hip-hop songs. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. So let's talk about some of the albums. So you mentioned Cheshire Cat, which didn't really do much for them, but they sort of became much bigger with their major label debut, Dude Ranch in 1997, followed Mm -hmm. by the five times platinum Edema of the State in 1999 and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. 2001 i hate that title it just feels okay so that that title i it took me many years to figure out that because i was like 10 or 11 and i didn't really understand what that was referring to but when i did i was like oh no and it makes sense with the band but i was like oh no whoever i don't know if it was in the band or somebody on their team an agent marketing person whoever came up with both their album artwork and many of their album titles, um, they, they deserve to raise. They're just, they're so stupidly brilliant or brilliantly stupid. I don't know which one, but I or mean, stupid. they just, yeah, or stupid. <laughs> but they're but, memorable, in, in, in the best I, way. They are so memorable. And, you know, and maybe that's when you need the nurse for Item of the State, which uh, yeah. is a very memorable album cover, too, because you see in the on the cover, this nurse that has tattoos, that has the Blink-182 uh, patch on her um, her nurse's outfit, and she puts on a blue glove. And I think it's, well, the title itself is very, please very little to the imagination. Yes. Hey, you know what? I, I love a good pun. I don't know if this is a good pun, but it's a memorable pun for sure. Enema of the state. And I wonder how many people learned the definition of the word enema because of the album title. I will tell you a really funny story really fast about enemas. And this is what always makes me forever laugh about it. Anytime I ever hear it. I worked as a manager for a retail pharmacy for a few years while I was in grad school. I had a customer in all seriousness say where the enemas located. And that's usually in the probiotics aisle. And I turn around and I give the customer, show them exactly where it is. And then they, the person tells me, how does it work? Like, 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 what do you do with it? And I, they were like dead serious. And I literally used the card. Oh, there's the pharmacist who could tell you exactly <laughs> about this product and where it goes, because I don't know, because I was too embarrassed to tell them how to use an enema in front of other people in a crowded store. <laughs> <laughs> so that title makes me laugh because I thought of that too because it's just so great. So, but yeah, Edema of the State um, is really it doesn't leave much imagination, but it's a funny album cover. And then the Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, which it sounds like it's masturbation because it is, it does. <laughs> it's a it's a coincidence. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> I mean. 
they the cover has like the, you... the the traffic stop like is red, yellow, green. I mean, they, they're good. Okay, wholesome. please, Paul. On the cover, does it? Isn't there an airplane? Yes. So there's a jacket it's... that's green, a yellow pair of pants, and a red jacket. So I mean, I what are, what are you implying, Nick? I... Uh, one, two, three, <laughs> blast off. <laughs> You know, um, actually, missed uh, album. I mean, if you want to call it, it was a live album, the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, which had a subtitle that was a sequel to Enema, which also had a pun. The subtitle was "The Enema Strikes Back." It does it. It gets uninserted. Like, how how, how does that? Work? Just let them have their Star Wars <laughs> reference. Don't think about it too. Hard. <laughs> I mean, what is going to be the next one? Return of the Enema, like to complete the original trilogy? No, I'm kidding. The Enema Menace, or the Phantom Enema. Attack when they of the Enemas. The and then I can't remember what the 2005 <laughs> movie is all. <laughs> Revenge, of the, Revenge of the Enema. Oh, gosh. Uh, that's so amazing. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard of that one. That was the live album, right? In between mm-hmm. Enema and uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Which every time I always say it now, like I can't help but just think like how how silly that sounds. Where was I going with this? Oh, as I I was getting to a point. So these three or four albums that you mentioned, including the 2003 self-titled album, this helped establish Blink-182 as one of the hottest rock bands of their era. Like for a good, I would say, seven year period, they were one of the biggest rock bands in the world. And one of the most popular. I'm just curious, why do you think they became so popular at this moment in time? And I'm I'm saying that because at this moment in time, a band like Green Day was at their lowest until really American Idiot. Like I specifically right. remember like that song that was on Seinfeld, the uh ha- the time of your life. Like what what is that song? Uh, um, Good Riddance. Good Riddance. I was like yeah. I don't think they say the title in that song. Like between that and American Idiot, they were kind of in a slump. And really, yeah. Blink-182 filled that slump. But I'm curious, why do you think they became as popular as they did? I think it was the marketing and branding. I mean, it they really just knew how to sell themselves. And they weren't afraid to go on and make appearances on TRL, MTV. I mean, at, at a in a way that... You know, most punk bands don't have the opportunity to do. I don't know that it's not they're not willing to do it. It's just Blink-182 had the right people in their court. They appealed to just the right target audience at just the right time with their immaturity and sense of humor and the embracement of not taking themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And, they and of course, Warp Tour, uh, you know, this is a time when when pop punk was exploding in, in large part, thanks to Blink-182 and Warped Tour, and they were kind of the the headline act of that entire era. That's actually really well said. I think that at this moment, too, there was just this embrace of just, like, rock music was still very much popular in the mainstream, and mm-hmm. they kind of hit this good sweet spot of the self-reflective, humor but like deprecated humor in a way like yeah. but then also a lot of the things that they talk about were very relatable and real mm-hmm. so like i'm thinking like a song like adam song which is yeah. a, one of the most serious songs they ever recorded but it's weird that that was released i think in between 
what's my age again and uh all the small things which are very playful yeah. songs like yeah. very short two and a half minute songs but i think it's a band with depth but i think there's also some kind of relatability to it because even like Absolutely. when i watch the music videos like they look like regular people and they act like regular people although they're way more naked than the average guy i mean <laughs> yeah it, i think it helped that they were in on the joke and you know they would do the, the parodies uh like in the all the small things video but they were they were playfully making fun of pop music while being aware that they were certainly part of the conversation of pop music and in the mainstream just as much for a period of time as the the boy bands and and the teen pop idols that we referenced earlier. I mean, they, they were in that same conversation and there was definitely a lot of overlap in uh, kids and preteens and teens that listened to all of the above there. Yeah. And a lot of people, this is like of my age or your age or our age, really, because we're like nearly the same age. Um, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people's favorite band that are our age or one of their favorite bands. And it comes from a lot of people who really don't like rock music, really. It's it's just it's it's it, they're a fascinating band on so many levels and they became even more popular over time, which yeah. is really strange to me in a way. And I don't I can't think of too many bands from the 90s that kind of have that where it sort of seems that they became more popular but i think also they help further mainstream this idea of pop punk and you would see this throughout the 2000s and the 2010s like not to get two bands offhand or panic at the disco and fall oh boy i mean mm-hmm. those are two that also have this kind of playfulness and they could be serious when they want to be but like yeah. They just want to have a good time. And critics did not like Blink-182. I'll just get that right yeah. off the bat. Like, they do not like Blink-182. They never liked it. They thought it was sophomore crap that was very disposable. It didn't have depth. I remember this. Because even like Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine and other publications like that, you will never see it on a, the best <laughs> albums of 2000, retrospectively. Right. You will ever see anything like that for 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 that band and it's interesting that when they started to have some semblance of credibility with the 2003 album mm-hmm. that got pretty reasonable sometimes good reviews and you'll notice in in some of the reviews of that album from that era a lot of critics were were respecting and acknowledging that they had more depth and maturity to them and it's interesting that as soon as that releases, that was kind of the hiatus of the band. They released a greatest hits album after that, but then they all kind of realized they had some creative differences and these side projects started to form. And in the mid two thousands, uh, blink 182's future was very uncertain. They sort of fell off in a weird way. Like they were so big. And yeah. then I just remember other bands that were sort of, in a similar lane, just sort of take over, like yeah. the two I mentioned. And yeah. I was like, hi, oh, then, you know, sometimes out of sight, out of mind. But it's so easy to forget how big they were, but also they had such a very bit much a surge in popularity over time. I think they're as big now as they ever were, quite honestly. Yeah, maybe not on the charts, of course, but as far as uh, the nostalgia factor, it certainly seems like it. I mean, they're 
reunion when Mark, Tom, and Travis got back together. That went viral, like oh, yeah. to earlier, the ticket sales skyrocketing. You know, a lot of that is has to do with what's going on with Ticketmaster and whatnot. But I mean, the, the demand is there regardless of the price. Their their shows were selling out, um, even regardless of how expensive they were. And there is definitely a lot of buzz and interest and hope for a new album with that core trio you know they're not the original trio technically but in everyone's heart they kind of are they are they most um definitely are blank 182 helped spearhead the pop punk movement that became really popular started in the mid 1990s and they were one of the most popular bands as me and paul have been talking about but this was without their detractors because a lot of people who initially followed the band especially with like the early 90s and even into the mid 90s, they felt like they sort of betrayed their punk identities over time and they just became kind of corporate sellouts. Um, I'm curious, Paul, do you think that's a fair assessment or do you think this is just an evolution of a band who happens to just gain notoriety and success? Sure, definitely the latter. I mean, I, I have never been a fan of the term selling out in general, I think it should really only apply to straight up hypocrites. I mean, so if an indie band has this underground reputation and following and part of their brand is vocally calling out the big label music industry, and then they have a significant shift in style and attitude once they get an opportunity, that's probably an appropriate use of selling out. But for your average band that's you know starting in a garage or with these small gigs or just doing some demos and then working their way up to the indie labels and then having the chance to be on MTV and festivals and arenas, that's just a successful career to me. Uh, you might prefer the older, rawer, less produced sounds of an artist before they had the more polished production, but the truth is most listeners don't. So what are you going to do? I feel like you have to maintain success and popularity. And I mean, that's a uh that's just evolution. I think of, of any artist. like they're going to probably have more pop sensibilities as time goes on because you want to reach the widest audience possible. So for example, like a song, like I miss you doesn't really feel like a punk song really, or power or a pop punk song at all. It's just, it's more of a ballad than anything else. Yeah. But does that mean that it's not a good song? Like, I think it is a good song. Yeah, I would almost classify it as an emo song. But it's definitely not punk. But I mean, does it matter if it's punk? You know what I mean? Like, that's part of like where I think the hypocrisy comes in, where people say like, oh, this artist sold out of whatever they were doing beforehand. I think they just, they grow as musicians, they grow as people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that personally. Right. And it's also kind of uh, some people have maybe a need to neatly classify bands into a single genre or pigeonhole them in such a way where they have to stay with their roots. Mm -hmm. And as bands age and have released a lot of material, that's often not what they want to do creatively. And you see that with almost every band or, or artist period solo or band that that they really start to change up their style try different things explore crossing 
over into different genres and sounds. And um, you can't knock them for that, in my opinion. I think that that's right. And, you know, something I will knock them for a little is that I think their music is very simplistic, almost to a fault. And the latest reason I say to a fault is because there's so many stories out there about uh, guitar teachers teaching their students songs. And usually the beginner songs are almost always a Blink-182 song for a millennial or Gen Z or who wants to learn the guitar. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but if I could learn how to play the notes for some of those songs, like, I don't know if that's good. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It is all the small things this generation smoke on the water. It might be, it just might be actually, it could be all small things. And I think I miss you was the other one that they like a lot of people keep using for, for that. But yeah, or I think if you have a style and a sound, that's hard to master, like to have a unique style, like a recognizable aesthetic. And I think that they definitely have one. That's not perfect, but I think that it allows them to be at least considered unique. And usually if you're unique, that means you're doing something right because people are remembering you. Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. They're very simplistic musically and lyrically. I mean, most of their big hits are perfect for middle school dances or very drunk karaoke. Oh, but yeah. I think that might be part of the value for them. I mean, really, any popular musicians from any genre that get easily dismissed comes from how much fun that the value comes from how much fun you're having listening to them, which we keep going back to for this band. I mean, that they've brought a lot of enjoyment to many people and that's all that matters for people to criticize popular things. At a certain point, you're just being an old man yelling at clouds. I mean, obviously it's okay not to like things, but other people aren't wrong for what they do like. I always feel like if a hundred billion people are streaming the latest song by bts i'm just throwing a random act out there i don't think it'd be all that bad if like they have a connection with that many people i know it sounds silly because sometimes there's artifice in any art form not just music but the movies or whatever but i don't know if it affects you and it makes you feel like you're a better person i don't know like to each their own kind of but we don't want grandpa simpson uh yelling into the sky (laughs) because you know that's never a good thing. <laughs> Although that is one of my favorite memes that I send people all the time because it is just, it's too, it's too much fun not to. But I think yeah. like for a band like Blake Way 2, and I keep going back to Adam's songs. I listened to that a lot during the prep for this episode. And it is a very heavy song. And it's one that really has very few instruments from what I remember and a very powerful song. So a song like that or I miss you. They have depth. It's not like they're just running around naked and just talking about, you know, masturbation or going to on a first date or something like that. The, their songs do touch on real humanist elements like depression and loneliness. And in the case of Adam's song, suicide. So right. it's a weird song in there, like on Enema of the State to be included because, but I don't want people to just listen to this and think like, wait a second, they have some depth to them. And I think that's part of what. And, and I think they also showcase some of their individual depth as individual musicians. When you look at some of their side project bands, like 
Tom and Travis's band. Uh, I, I don't recall who else was in it with them, but Boxcar Racer is is very much uh, a serious little one-off, one-album project. And uh, have you had a chance to check that out before? No, not yet. Yeah, I recommend it. I, I really enjoyed it. And then when Tom Delonge, when they, after the, the initial hiatus, after the self-titled and when the Greatest Hits album came out, and I think that was 2005, mm-hmm. uh, Angels and Airwaves is Tom's band. Um, and uh, it's almost like prog rock. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. And then Mark stayed more in the pop punk realm. His uh, band was plus 44. Something that we talked a little bit about at the beginning, especially with how I was introduced to Blink-182 was through music videos. And they made quite a few memorable music videos. And I think that's partly what made them become stars was the visual aspects of this band, not even the what you hear on the record, but what you're actually seeing on MTV. And I was just curious if you had any thoughts on their music videos or which ones are your favorite or like how it helped define who they are as rock stars. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, the earlier, the Enema of the State uh, music videos, What's My Age Again with the running nude and the, all the small things parody of other pop artists. Those are just classic music videos that got streamed all the time. Uh, all the small things. I think it went to number six on the Billboard Hot 100, mm-hmm. and I am sure that uh, the music video played a major role in that song's popularity and, and being able to achieve that chart ranking. And it was just a, a lot of fun. The band was clearly having fun at what they were with what they were doing. I mean, it, it seems very genuine, even though it's a parody video. Just like there are these relatable guys like we talked about earlier just having a good time uh and then some of their videos on from their following album uh were really fun too the the rock show video where they're buying buying a bunch of frivolous things is a classic but my absolute favorite music video is actually first date yeah that is a good one yeah that's an homage to the 70s and you've got the hippie band and the bell bottoms but my favorite part is that gif of tom mouthing wtf yes yeah it is it's classic i anytime i watch that video i have to rewind it it's so good it's such a it's such a silly video and i rewatched mm-hmm. it before we recorded and it's crude and it's funny and i just mm-hmm. it, you gotta laugh because these guys are just in their 70s nostalgia glory and yeah it is just yeah. It's a wild music video, to say the least. And the other one that I should say that I've always remember is uh, uh, What's My Age Again? Because really, there's no, like, they're just running around naked in, uh-huh. in, down the streets of, I guess, San Diego or somewhere in California. And it's just funny because that's the music video, if I had to guess. I'm trying to think offhand because I love TRL in that era. I think that was their first TRL video because I was on Enema of the State. And it's weird because TRL, I don't know if you watched it during that era. It was a weird era from like 98 to like 2000, 2001. You had in the same top 10, Limp Bizkit, Corn, Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine, Blink-182, 
like those types of bands mm-hmm. and then coincide with like the pop like the pop of that day like the artists like Backstreet Boys, Christina Aguilera, uh, Britney Spears, 90 Degrees, you know people like that and it's just like it's one of the most fascinating things like I think there needs to be a dissertation or a book about that because there's some kind of like a weird American bandstand like identity crisis and yeah. the best way I could kind of put it is it's almost like your brother's favorite bands versus your sister's favorite bands but then they all both like each other's bands and artists it's like it's like this weird marriage of sorts that i just i absolutely i I find it endlessly fascinating Mm. and i could probably talk forever about that's just an average car ride for me (laughs) that's just the average car ride. (laughs) me me shuffling my playlist (laughs) that's just me on an average thursday at like three (laughs) o'clock i'm just gonna play like the random spotify trl 1998 to like you know, 2004. And I'm just like, oh, this was like my youth in many ways. Um, One of my favorite music videos, and I would love to hear your thoughts, is The Rock Show, because I just love the disclaimer at the very beginning of that music video is basically that on these two days, Blake and YouTube were filming a music video. We gave them a bunch of money and this is what they gave us. Mm -hmm. And I just love the very first thing is when you see Mark with the check, and I think it's it had six numbers. It had to be at least $100,000 to make a music video. And basically, it is just the most bonkers, weirdest thing. Like, they're throwing money at people from their cars or the van. And then they're playing in the van and in a hotel. And they're strippers. And they're breaking TVs. And they're just going all balls to the wall, so to speak. And it's chaos in three minutes. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a fun video. And I feel like it inspired future music videos. Um, let's see. Oh, what, what is, there's one I'm not thinking of. Oh, Drake. Was that the, was it In My Feelings? God's Plan? What, what, it was one of Drake's music videos. I feel like I got to fact check myself. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Let's see. Yes, it was God's Plan. So yeah, the God's Plan music video by Drake. Um I think they gave away close to a million dollars in that uh, video. And I, and I wonder if it was inspired by Blink-182's rock show, or that's just an idea that a lot of artists have or or their label has when uh, they think it'll make a good viral video. Who knows? But uh, I just think the funny part about that music video is basically they were given, I think it was half a million dollars, Blink-182. I think it was half a million. It was a lot of money that they were given. They basically just like destroyed a bunch of shit and basically just had a good time with that 500000 It's like, I think they literally say the video, let's have some fun. And uh, oh, they did. I mean, there's a lot of anarchy and destruction along the way, but that's part of the fun altogether. Any other music videos that stand out to you, Paul, from their catalog? I think definitely I Miss You with its very um, gothic kind of vibe to it. Um, it almost r- reminds me of music video from The Killers for some reason. It does because it has like the spotlight on Mark and he's very like angelic. He glows right in the music video. Like he's very... And it kind of reminiscent of like classical Hollywood, like that kind of style. Yes. Like, and hard to explain. It's almost like one you could just have to sort of watch to see what they're going for. But yeah, I could definitely see the Gothic elements, I think. And, and that is probably, I would say, probably the most emo 
that I could think of in terms of like their bigger hits that they would get to. Let's talk about the band's many uh, lineup changes throughout their history, because I think that's important to touch on, especially after 2003's self-titled album. What caused them to go on hiatus initially, Paul? Because I'm still a little murky on that myself. Well, my understanding is they wanted to take a break and work on their side projects, um, explore different creative facets that they didn't felt feel like uh, fit the Blink-182 sound. So you had before and around that time, you had Boxcar Racer, and then there was the uh, Transplants, which was kind of a a punk rap crossover that uh, Travis Barker was in, uh, along with uh, one of the members of Rancid and Operation Ivy. And then... 2005 rolls around and the greatest hits album comes out and around that time they announced an indefinite hiatus and then that's when um tom formed angels and airwaves and mark and travis uh went on to play in plus 44 and they had they each had maybe one song one or two songs hit the charts, nothing super successful for plus 44. It was when your heart stops beating and angels and airwaves, it was the adventure and they didn't have a another album until 2011, mm-hmm. which uh, was neighborhoods. And that did feature the uh, trio again, but after that they broke up again. Yeah, it, it, it's just strange because I, I I don't think they really fought with each other. They just drifted away creatively, yeah. I would say, right? That, that seems to be the case. I mean, of course, there's rumors, and, and I don't tend to look too much into, you know, a lot of the, I guess, the, the drama of it all. Um, yeah, I kind of live under a rock when it comes to celebrity beef sometimes, so... There may be more to the story, but if if there was any major incident that caused a rift, um, I mean, obviously it's been resolved now in the 2020s uh, through Union, but once 2016 rolls around, the album California comes out, and they've recruited Matt Skiba, who was the frontman for Alkaline Trio, to replace Tom. And that was the lineup until recently when they reunited. Um, not exactly sure what happened with Matt Skiba, but they announced that he was no longer going to be a member of the band and Tom was coming back. Oh, and um, we forgot an album in there. Nine came out in 2019, which is uh, part of the Matt Skiba era. It's so weird because his era feels so like, cause he came as a band in like 2015, like you said, and he mm-hmm. left, I guess in, Two years ago, I think in 2021, I don't, yeah, I think, I think it's about right. He's sitting there for like six years or so, but it feels like so long ago. And I don't know if it's because of the pandemic where it just feels like sometimes things that really aren't that long ago feel like an eternity ago. Um, and the, the reunion came actually at the very end of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in 2021, Mark Hoppus announced he had cancer Right. And then there, there had been a lot of speculation and kind of teasing 
that the reunion announcement was going to come and then it finally happened in October. Yeah, that was so heavily touted and that people were sort of like, I'll see it when I believe it kind of at this point, because Mm -hmm. it was however many years. So it's really 2003, 2004, give or take, like since it was the original trio. And I remember there was such a viral reaction on social media and in publications that venomously denied Blink-182 being a major band, but yet they had them on their website for clickbait, essentially, to kind of be like, oh, they're back. And yeah, and, and I'm really happy for them. And I feel that it's funny. Now that their fans are a little bit older, I always think this is funny with nostalgia bands. And at this point, Blink-182 is because they don't have a new album yet with Mark back in the fold. But it's like they could charge a little bit more. And then, like you were saying, uh, that they could uh, get to charge a ridiculous amount for tickets. And I think that that's not always correct, but, you know. Well, uh, another interesting thing during the last decade leading back up to the reunion to, to highlight is Tom DeLonge's extracurricular activities um, in the alien ufo spear you made me laugh because i was i was that was i was in my head trying not to say that but like some of that stuff is batshit crazy yeah yeah i don't think we want to go too deep into it but it's interesting that he had such a platform when it came to his endeavors uh researching aliens and ufos that he actually had some influence it seems like on the U.S. government and the Pentagon declassifying some documents and, and videos, but um, it's just it's just funny that Blink One Eighty Two is connected to that history. Like, there's who who would have thought twenty something <laughs> years ago that they'd be, you know, having playful little songs like "Aliens Exist" and then literally um, a, a member of the band would be involved in document declassification <laughs> such a bizarro so, so, so uh, does that credit them as a serious band <laughs> let's see what et thinks of blink 182 and then we'll we'll get back to you on that fair one. enough fair enough um yeah i remember the whole this was many years ago right that it started it was like at least 10 years ago that tom delong started to get into <laughs> paranormal activity and extraterrestrial life sure conspiracy theory sort of thing sure and and it feels like you know there were i mean obviously they they had referenced aliens in some of their earlier music but it feels like his um angels and airwaves band had a lot of conceptual ideas there that may have been references to space and space exploration it's it's wild that could be a whole topic uh, Tom DeLong on the History Channel talking about UFO investigations, which is uh, I, I, I yeah. think I can just grab the popcorn and just listen, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if anyone's going to get their own uh, kind of investigation series like that, if any celebrity would, I mean, it's him. I mean, is it better? I mean, that's at least a little bit better than Travis Barker's Meet the Barkers reality show, which I remember in high school when that came out, and that was very cringy. And that oh was like gosh. 2005, 2006. I know it existed. 
uh, I, I don't think I ever saw it, but there was, um, we have Paramount Plus and we were just kind of like skimming through some of the reality TV shows uh, from the mid 2000s. So, you know, they have a lot of the MTV and VH1 series on there. And there was um, an episode of, oh shoot, what's the name of it? It was like Pimp My Ride, but for homes. Like like the celebrities got to show off their oh uh, cribs, their mansions, cribs. cribs, yeah, cribs. Thank you. Cribs was like the okay. Paul, stop. Uh, just later up for a sec. If you have not watched the Mariah Carey Cribs episode from two thousand one, right before Glitter, it's some of the best television you will ever watch in your entire life. <laughs> oh, it's priceless. I'll, I'll see if they have it on there. But we we were just kind of skimming through, and, and we found an episode of MTV Cribs that had Mark Hoppus on it. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we watched that one. And he showed like his giant backyard pool, and it was so funny. I mean, that like mid two thousands. Like that just shows you like how successful these guys were, like in in their heyday. I mean, I'm sure you know they 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 continued to be uh, throughout, regardless of how their mainstream career was going. But that was just pretty cool. I remember watching that show with my parents one time, and they literally said to me that I'll never forget this. I never looked at the show the same way again. They're like, you look at these people's houses and how well they live, and you're like, it's because of us? You're thinking, like, I don't know how to feel about that, because it's like the lifestyles of the rich and famous, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess for the MTV generation, but yeah, or or how bad they they live like I, I i would have to like think or not bad but you're just like well you make all this money you had some of these really big hit movies or albums and this is how you live kind of but you know yeah i do remember the park uh, hoppus one for sure um but watch the mariah carey one you will thank me afterwards it's like the best <laughs> thing ever it's like 2001 2002 yeah. maybe oh it's 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 priceless stuff quite honestly yeah and they did reunite and then they filled in for Frank Ocean at Coachella, which I remember when that happened not too long ago. And that was a big deal. And also they were not expecting that any of the concert attendees. So yeah, it sucks that of course it's someone as talented um, and popular as Frank Ocean, who really doesn't perform live really. And he hadn't performed in many years really to a live audience, but for Blake Whitty to fill in for them, that's about as big as you're going to get for a rock band in, 2023 like yeah absolutely we talked about the bands and artists that influenced blake 182 let's talk about some of the bands and artists that blake 182 influenced who are some that come to mind paul well i think their influence on their contemporary and future pop punk artists is really interesting i mean not to discredit green day which it feels like we've been doing this entire podcast. Oh, it's okay. They're in the Rock <laughs> but, Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, they, yeah, they, they can take it. But, yeah. um, you know, they became mainstream earlier, um, you know, with Dookie, but but it feels like Blink-182 were really the template for 21st century pop punk. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. really know how to articulate the difference between that influence, but I'm sure there's a blog post or video essay somewhere on the internet doing such, but I think it's probably because Green Day always had a little bit more credibility or at least ambition to get that credibility from the critics. Mm -hmm. And they 
did get a lot of exposure on mainstream rock radio, where Blink-182 was definitely more getting it from the pop end. Uh, so it made... But but ironically, even though Blink-182 felt more pop, it also felt like they were edgier because they weren't as establishment. They were just doing their own thing, and it just happened to work for them. Uh, and so they kind of branched down two different paths of influence. So uh, some artists that I, I really don't know what they would have done or what they would have sounded like without Blink-182... Uh, Avril Lavigne, you mentioned Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disc earlier, Paramore, All Time Low, Good Charlotte, Some 41, I mean, list goes on. And even some very recent artists, you know, we've seen a bit of a pop punk revival, mm-hmm. um, which might in large, uh, in, in, in a large way, um, actually be part of the reason Blink-182 decided to get back together and why it went so viral when they did because the last couple years um, there's been kind of a, an appetite among listeners for pop punk. There's been a lot of nostalgia. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo is one that comes to mind. Um, she has a pop punk influence in a lot of sounds, but I mean, most notably, Good For You, um, which um, of course was itself... Um, influenced by Paramore's Misery Business. And that went to number one on the charts, and that was one of the considered one of the best songs of the year, in addition to being one of the most popular songs. Um, mm. There's also uh, kind of randomly Machine Gun Kelly, who got his uh, career start in rap and then kind of changed over to pop punk uh, after a infamous beef with Eminem. And uh, less mainstream, you've got Neck Deep, and, and there's some others. Oh, and of course, Juice World. I mean, it crossed over a lot of pop punk influence into rap, uh, creating a new subgenre of emo rap. Um, that all of these artists have a lot of debt to Blink 182, and who knows what they would be doing or sounded like uh, without it. I have a quote from. Uh, Joel Madden of Good Charlotte, he said, anyone in our genre would be lying if they said they weren't influenced by Blink-182. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think that their influence just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's weird because even something that dawned on me, and I would love to hear your take, is I feel like Blink-182, not only on pop punk and even alternative rock, but also on hip-hop. I feel like a lot of hip-hop artists have cited... Like a two as an influence, and I'm just curious your thoughts on that because it's not something that a lot of people would think, but I feel like that's absolutely there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the most obvious example is probably Juice World, but yeah, um, there's a lot of uh, notable younger, newer generation hip hop artists, uh, 24K Golden. Willow, um, which is it was Will Smith's daughter, um, she's had some great songs come out lately. Uh, Transparent Soul, and then uh, Meet Me. I was thinking spot. Little Peep was one, and who passed away. He, I feel like his music is very much indebted to Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely see that, and that's why I think it makes a really good band too, in a way, or a really good band, a great band, is that when you're there impact is not only just on their initial subgenre pop punk but it's kind of going into alternative rock and 
pop and even hip hop, they all can't be wrong. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. Well, the biggest example of all might be Billie Eilish. Um, yes. She's got this very eclectic sound, uh, clearly a lot of hip hop influence as well as a lot of alternative rock and punk influence. Uh, one of my favorite songs of the last couple of years is Happier Than Ever, um, which very much has this pop-punk breakdown and attitude. Definitely. And yeah, I think that there's just so many bands. That's why I, I thought about this for a sec. I can't remember who said this, and I'll apologize to listeners ahead of time, but someone once equated Blink-182 to Cheap Trick, and I think that's absolutely correct. Because Cheap Trick, they were very playful and they didn't really take themselves seriously, sort of like Blink-182, but they also knew how to play a really good pop song or a really good rock song when it was needed. And they're always consistently really good. And I feel like that's also one of my favorite bands as well. And, you know, it's a lot of like themes that are very similar between two bands, but their influence like Cheap Trick just kept growing over time to the point that it was sort of who isn't influenced by them yeah. that that sort of played a power pop or hard rock or even metal. A lot of bands who are in the rock roll of fame or have became very famous always pointed to cheap trick. And I feel like a lot of artists keep pointing now to blink 182 in sort of a similar way. And I feel like it's going to continue to grow especially at a time when rock music is really not, it's not, it's not in fashion as much. So their popularity kind of in a weird way also helps kind of keep it alive, even at a mainstream level, even though they're not really releasing new music, mm-hmm. the money talks when they're touring. Right. And that's how you really, they really make their money. It's not really in the studio, but on the road. And um Oh, one thing I did want to talk about really quick is that everyone in the world, it seems, of music wants to work with Travis Barker. There is, yes. and it's all across all genres too. And that's kind of what I was hitted on before about that their fans are uh, are from all these different genres. But it seems like Travis Barker is on so many songs. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of crazy. And I'm like kind of curious, like, why do you think that that's the case of him because he kind of has always said in interviews, it seems like uh, the work is to work. Like I'm not bound to just rock music or pop or punk, but you know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's something about Blink-182. I mean, he's got to be one of the most famous drummers of the last three decades easily. I mean, I mean, how many other people can name a drummer? Like you don't try to say like a drummer's not usually, I mean, unless you're like yeah, Phil I mean, Collins or like sure. Yvonne Helm or yeah, Ringo Starr. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's married to a Kardashian. I mean, he is like mainstream as it gets. Uh, who who, who would have guessed? Like, like Blink-22 is just connected to pop culture in so many ways from, like I said, the, the government, the alien documents to marrying a Kardashian and being involved in every genre you can think of hip hop and beyond. I mean, it's, it's just so interesting. It, it um, really is. Like, I'm just like, cause he'd be fascinated by this band. The more we're talking yeah. about them and the more I've listened yeah. to them. Something um, interesting. I mean, Travis Barker uh, avoided an, a near tragic death. He was in 
a plane crash. And in that yeah. plane crash, uh, DJ AM passed away. Um, and, and I think a, a few other people on board, sadly, but Travis Parker survived. He was critically injured. And that was like back in 2008. Uh, yeah. So. Isn't that why they don't play Adam's song anymore? Because his name was Adam, right? I believe they don't oh, play I, that I song I didn't know anymore. much about him. I, I, um, I, I didn't know too much about DJ AM, but it, possibly so. But that, that'd be an interesting um, reason why. I mean, that, that would make sense. Let's transition a little to talk about the uh, favorite question amongst guests when we do artist episodes, the mixtape question. So essentially okay. how this works is you're making a mixtape for someone and you're saying, mm-hmm. okay, these are six songs by Blink-182 that I really enjoy that I want to introduce you. In case if the person doesn't know yeah. who Blink-182 is. Um, so, and this could be hits, album yeah. cuts. It's your playlist. So, Paul, what songs are you picking and why? Okay, I had a lot of fun coming up with these six. Um, I am going to skip all the small things and what's my age again, just because they're so obvious. Even if somebody claims they've never listened to Blink-182, they probably heard those songs and just didn't realize they were Blink-182. So I'm going to skip those two for my personal six. I did these in chronological order because I didn't want to rank them. But first one is going to be Damn It, Growing Up from Dude Ranch. Uh, it's just fun. It's a little edgy. It's infinitely playable. It's playfully rebellious. And I love the screw you attitude. So would that be in your six? Oh, my six. Okay. Yeah. W- um, would that be in your six? Oh, yes, that would, damn it, would absolutely be in my uh, top six, for sure. I really, I think that's a very underrated song from uh, Dude Ranch. And it's one that I feel that Enema of the State and the next two albums kind of get a lot of the credit. But I feel like that's one that sort of doesn't as much. But I think it's one of their best songs, for sure. I really enjoyed it. And I I think that was actually their first kind of hit on, like, Mm-hmm. The Billboard charts in terms of like the modern rock charts, I think, or yeah, alternative rock charts. So it, it means a lot to the band because it helped kind of establish them to a wider audience. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. It might be my favorite, uh, or at least in the top two or three favorite of their kind of immature, edgy stuff. My second pick, I actually only have one pick from Enema of the State. Ooh. And... It is going away to college. I that was actually my ironically my album of the day last week, and I texted you that because I it was I do them so far in advance that I didn't realize that we were recording this, and that is a really good song. Yeah, it's this really fun mix. It is immature and silly, and it's about skipping or ditching the lecture to go watch the girls play soccer. But it's also genuinely romantic and sweet and expresses the nervousness of being a teenager who doesn't Mm -hmm. understand romance at all. So somehow that makes it super romantic. And I love the line, the world's an ugly place, but you're so beautiful to me. It's so corny, but it's, it's very sweet. I I like it a lot. I agree. Uh, My next two choices are from uh, take off your pants jacket. And one of them is the rock show. And I really went, Yeah, I really went back and forth between this or First Date. Uh, I think the energy in this one puts it slightly above First Date for me. And I like the way it's super fast-paced. 
and then chills out a little towards the end. And um, it, it's just really fun song. You know, I don't know. I don't owe anyone an explanation. So, oh, know. I don't think you have to. And it's just <laughs> you know, sometimes they're just earworms, and sometimes you just need a feel good, catchy rock song. And the rock show absolutely delivers. I, it's one of my favorites. That other songs, of course, get a lot more attention, like the two that you mentioned uh, from Adam of the State. But yeah, it's a radio friendly song that has a really good hook. And I think it exemplifies why that band is so special, unique. My fourth one is also from that album. And it's probably my second favorite Blink-182 song. Um, I almost put on Adam's song, um, but... This is another early serious one, and I think it hits personally for me a lot more than Adam's song did. I can relate to a lot. It's Stay Together for the Kids. I knew you were going to um, say that. Yeah. For, like The way you were delivered, I'm like, oh, he's going to pick yeah. that one. Yeah, so um, I you know, d- didn't specifically go through these circumstances that the lyrics are about. Uh, I never met my dad at all, so I didn't have to deal with a divorce as a child. But there's some other things you know, from my childhood and teenage years with family members that, wow, it, it really speaks to me. Uh, I love the song and it, it speaks towards kind of growing up with some kind of, you know, neg- negligent par- figure in your life. And, and it has this feeling, even though it's really dark and, and sad and serious in a lot of ways, it has this feeling of overcoming your situation and this determination to it. And the instrumental is almost really positive, even though, the message is sad and, and it just, it, it connects with me a lot. I, I really, really enjoy Stay Together Three Kids. I agree. And, and my, my fifth pick um, is I Miss You. I mean, this is just one of my favorite songs of all time, period. It, it's emo and gothic and eerie, but it's also kind of lighthearted and fun and has this fun little poetry thing to it. And it references The Nightmare Before Christmas. And, and it's weirdly appropriate to listen to regardless of your mood like it like if i was at least in the mood to listen to music i could be having the best time or the worst time and if this song came on i probably wouldn't skip it because it kind of fits either mood i it's just odd very few songs are like that but it's a song too that has a certain vibe to it it's hard to explain with certain songs but there's just it it hits just all the right notes that it's one that I never skip either, yeah. or if it ever comes on, I will always let it play. Yeah, and I'll also always make fun of the way the word head is said in the song. My yed. Yes. I, I don't know what was with that stylistic choice, but it is very iconic. And then my final uh, sixth pick is also from the self-titled album. Uh, any guesses as to what it is? Hmm. Let me think. So what else was on that album that you haven't chosen? Feeling this? No, uh, that was considered. It's actually Always. Well, that is a good song. Yeah, it's got a slow start. It's almost kind of new wavy. Um, I don't think it's super reflective of a lot of their early work. Uh uh, But it definitely feels reflective of their later work. But I I like it more than their later work. Uh, But but yeah, it's just kind of an interesting kind of moody, new wavy sound. I really dig it. Those are some good choices. I'll add a few, if you don't mind. Uh, Please do. Songs that I like. 
and I'm going to not go in any chronological order because I don't think I wrote it in chronological order. Um, I wrote Feeling This. That's from the self-titled 2003 album. I always enjoyed that one. That was a radio hit for sure. I also liked Anthem from Enema of the Sea. That's a good, that's a great one as well. Yeah. Um, you picked so many good ones and I don't want to go too obvious. Like, although I do love like what's my age again. I mean, sure. Let's pick that one. Cause I do, I do like that song. Um, Apple shampoo is I think very underrated from dude ranch as well. Mm-hmm. And that was right before damn it. That might've been the first song that was released as a single on uh, do ranch. I would have to check, but that, that sounds right. Uh, yeah, I'd have to check, but, but I think weird. that might be. And then I think the only other one that I would add that I always liked was Ban Overboard, which is from the the live album, um, <laughs> the Enema Strikes, Strikes Back. Back. <laughs> which I just love that album cover because it's just the band in a cartoon, um, and it's like multicolored and. Yeah, it's just, it's great. But those are some of the ones that I like as well. And they, you know, for a band that's very hits driven, they do have some really good album tracks as well. I highly recommend, like, because I listened to it recently, Enema of the State. It's a good overall album and it's very zippy, like 35 minutes, 12 songs. Yeah, I think that it's very underrated. So those would be some of my, my favorite Blink-182 songs, besides the ones that you mentioned, of course. Like The Rock Show was a great song. That might be my favorite one from them. So infectious. Um, Let's see. So let's talk about some of the awards that Blake 182 have won over the years. And please, Paul, yell at me if I forget any big ones. They were only nominated for one Grammy, which I'm kind of shocked. And it wasn't until 2017 for Best Rock Album for California, which was the 2016 album and the uh, uh, Skiba era. So they only have one Grammy nomination, shock, shockingly. Um, but I do count the MTV Video Music Awards as a major award because I think that is good for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame question. I remember that they won Best Group Video for all the small things, and it was nominated for Video of the Year and Best Pop Video, which I that warms my heart that you know, this rock band is nominated in the pop category yeah. amongst like... I- TRL faves. A, a rock band making fun of pop. Yes. It's not for best pop video. Well, I'll read you the other nominees for best pop video because I think it's like amazing. Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again. Destiny's Child, Say My Name. Christina Aguilera, What a Girl Wants. And then InSync won for Bye Bye Bye. That makes sense. Which I think is a low-key masterpiece of a song. Like, I will fight anyone that thinks that that is not a great song. You won't have to fight me. I, I agree. Even Oops, I Did. Actually, all okay. All five of these songs are pop masterpieces. I'll just go on record and say it. Um, and people disagree, fight me. Um, and they were also nominated, I believe, for six other MTV Video Music Awards over the years. And um, I mean, that's pretty much it. They're not really a band that gets a lot of awards attention, per se, even though they're very you know, ubiquitous and very popular. Like it took many decades for them to even get a Grammy nomination, which is kind of shocking to an extent. In terms of like best of all time list, I know Travis Barker's on the 100 best drummers of all time list from Rolling Stone magazine. Um, I would have to check really fast to see which ranking he had. What number do you think he came at? 
Who, um, who is right above and below him? Ooh, that's. Let me check. Let me check. Really oh, I thought fast. you were looking at the list. No, I, I did have the list right there. Okay, so right above him is Stephen Adler of Guns N' Roses. Okay. Um. Hmm. Forty-seven. No, eighty-two. Ninety-nine. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like he barely made the list, but he's on the list, which is all that counts. And that list is from. 2016. Oh, that's kind of funny because that was when they had that uh, new album that came yeah. out. So it probably helped a little for, for him to be on the uh, 100 Best Drummers list. Now we get to the main event of our... Blink-182 was first eligible for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. Hard to believe, right? It doesn't seem like they should be eligible yet, but they are at that point in time. So everything we talked about for the last hour or so do you think that they will receive a nomination at some point? And if so, when do you think? I think they will. It, you know, th- this is hard to speculate no matter who you're asking about. Um, a Blink-182 or, or a punk band or a punk-adjacent band in general, it, it, it's hard to say because they don't often get nominated in general. Although, here's my hot take. I think they will be, whenever it is, I think they'll be the next punk band to get in. Or punk that adjacent. is a hot take, and people will get I, salty with I, you. I know, I know they will. I'm not saying that is right or wrong no. of the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm just saying I think that's what's going to happen. And I think they'll get in before Dead Kennedys, Buzzcocks, The Offspring, many bands that influence them. And that that's going to make people mad. And, and I understand why it would. Uh, I'm not saying they should get in before those bands, but I just think there's too much uh, smoke uh, as to why they, they would get in. I mean, being uh, highly ranked in the kiosk, um, they have kind of all of the mainstream qualifications where no other punk band on the outside looking in does. Um, you know, they're, they're a household name, and I don't think you can say that and of course that is not a piece of criteria that's set out you don't have to be a household name there's some very um niche critical darling artists that have and will get in the rock and roll hall of fame but i i think with how conservative the hall has been when it comes to even nominating punk i think it's going to take somebody that has a lot of mainstream name recognition to to get a chance and it could be totally wrong, but that's just my hot take uh, speculation. Yeah, I love the hot takes. It, like, keep it coming. Uh, <laughs> I think that you're on to something because, I mean, I'll just throw some numbers out there for you. Uh, Blake White 2 sold 15 million albums just in the U.S., right? They have consecutive albums that went multi-plat in about a six or seven year period. That's impressive especially at the height of when people bought physical media. And like you said, they're a name that people know. They have the hits. They have enough songs that could warrant someone to have a catalog. And I don't know if you remember my Top 100 Rock Hall Prospects project. Never put Blink-182 on there. I probably will next year because I keep getting more and more convinced of their credibility and more of their worthiness as time goes on. 
but I will probably add them the next time I can, uh, which is in January because that's when I update them now. But um, my criteria is, do you have six songs that are good or well-known? And I think if you have at least six songs, you're always a contender for the Rock Hall because that's half a dozen songs. They have a catalog. They have the popularity. I just think their problem is more, are they a priority in the eyes of the people who make those decisions? And I would say of the 90s bands, I think they will get in, but I think they're going to have to wait at least five to 10 years. I agree with that uh, take. I think there's a a rapidly expanding 90s backlog and I don't know how many tiers we're talking about here, but they're definitely not on the the top tier of 90s artists that are are past due for elimination. They're probably on the the second tier, the B tier um, of picks. And and we're probably looking at five to 10 years before we get to them. I mean, not to compare them to other artists, but like, I'm just going to throw some that I think have to get in sort of before Blake way two enters the conversation on a serious note. I think Soundgarden absolutely needs to be in the conversation and they need to get in. I think Smashing Pumpkins, Beck, Weezer. I think Weezer needs to get in before them. And we did an episode on Weezer last year with Scott. Yeah, there's like quite a few, but I don't think they're outside the realm of possibility. I think what helps is that they're so young, like they're only in like their mid to late 40s. And maybe they're not a priority in the sense that their age kind of plays a factor, which isn't really fair. Because I think if you're worthy and you get enough support, you should absolutely be on the ballot. But I wonder how much that plays a factor. Because like this year's ballot results, you see like people in their 80s get into the performance category, like the survivor members of the spinners, or even like the late Tina Turner or Carol King. Like there's kind of like the sense of urgency to get some artists who are much older and I'm not saying that that has anything to do with um, Blink-182 not getting more in the Rock Hall conversation. I just, I don't know if the people who run it take them seriously. And I say that despite the fact that Blink-182 was number two twice in a row, I think consecutive years might be more on that fan kiosk at the museum. And for listeners who may not know, at the Rock Hall Museum, the kiosk uh, for the fan vote at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum in Cleveland. If you're a guest and you get admitted into the Rock Hall, they have a kiosk where you can vote and you type in an artist's name and use your wristband to vote. And Blink-22 is number two. Do you know who's number one, Paul? Or is continually number Um, one? Iron Maiden? Motley Crue. Molly Crew, okay. A band that I could give two shits about, <laughs> but I think they should objectively be in because they are a huge band. Even even if I don't really like the music at all, people pay to go to the museum. They can't all be wrong for three or four years, or however many years it is. It's kind of like just I don't think they'll get in with the voters per se, or it would take a little bit, but you know, give the people what they want. But I don't know. To answer, to answer our question, I, I think it's going to be at least five to 10 years. I, th- I would lead more towards at least 10. And some 90s acts kind of have to get in first. We're fully on the same page there. Yeah. Um, I think the only way they would get in sooner, perhaps, 
I guess there's a couple of paths. Either the, the rock hall uh, expands their class sizes a little bit, which uh, I wouldn't count on. And, you know, potentially they could release uh, new material, a new album now that they reformed. They could have a very prolific next few years touring. And so we, we don't know what the future is like for the band outside of the hall. So their, their resume and, and profile and how, you know, how big they are in the, in the public conversation outside of people who follow the hall uh, might play a role if they continue to have this kind of resurgence that they've had the past year or well, so. They keep adding younger voters to the voting body each year. And I think yeah. that's just going to continue over time. And these are the people that would happily vote yes. for a band like yes. Blink-182. Oh, and if they if they do make the ballot, I mean, they're going to do phenomenally in the fan vote. I mean, we they would get with, number one, I would think. I don't know yes, who else. I, it depends on who else is on there, but it sure. wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me. And, and while that's not a guarantee, as we saw with Dave Matthews Band, um, I also kind of find it hard to believe that the winner of the fan vote uh, won't get in again after some of the backlash we saw with Dave Matthews Band. Which I think they were right on because I think that was BS. And I did see Dave a few months ago and he was great live. Uh, really? That's cool. Yeah. I, 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 there was very deep cuts. And we did an episode in the backlog with uh, Michael and Carrie. But uh, yeah, they were really good. And it kind of blew me away. And I always liked them. But like they're very, um, I think they're more worthy. And a lot of people like love to trash them. And I think... Like they're the big, they're one of the biggest bands in the last 30 years. Yeah, they should absolutely be um, more serious of a contender for sure. I think also something I'm just going to say that helps Blink Winnie too is I think a lot of people know all three members of the band. And there's very few bands that I can think of where I think you could name all three members or four members of a band. And the only one that I could think of that is not in the rock hall offhand is the Monkees. They have that ubiquity. For various reasons, but I feel like most people could name every person in Blink Way too, which really helps them. Do you think that it would just be the original trio, by the way, that gets in? Yes, or or the or the most famous trio. Yes, I do. Yeah, um, I don't know if they would make it. You know, they, they would campaign for Matt Skiba or or some of the earlier members. I I kind of doubt it. Uh, it wasn't in it, the it, prime it of the band, really. Like, right. you know, when people think of it, they think from really 97 to like 2004. And right. that's keep us not, nowhere there. I mean, they did get like a Grammy nomination and some good came out of that partnership. But it's to me, if you're going to include someone from a band at a later point, like they had to contribute it to some kind of like really big success or right. like there's like a distinct era that was almost matching that previous one. And I don't think it is. And I think at Maskeva or anything, but you know, it's just, I remember someone on one of the forums we, we frequent and someone once said, Oh yeah, he should be. And I'm like, what are you smoking? Like, <laughs> come on. Um, they want the, the, the trio that is both famous. And I think depending on when they get in, I could easily see them closing the show. They're a fun band that could easily open the show like a good get get the blood going get the get the fire started or they could 
be a really fun show, uh, closing show and lead to a good all-star band, oh, an all-star jam, all-star yeah. band. I'm like thinking Ringo now. <laughs> um, so yeah. who, who do you see uh, giving their induction speech? That's a tricky one because their fans are so all over the place. I would love to see someone like Olivia Rodrigo. I that think. was my first pick. But I mean, it could be, see, I, I think with, I'd love to see someone younger and I would love to hear yeah. like a Gen Z age person. So I would say Olivia Rodrigo or Billie sure. Eilish or yeah. someone of that, or I would love to see. Yeah. Conduct it, it, if they did go with more of a contemporary, I could see maybe Pete Winston, Patrick Stump, uh, maybe Haley Williams. Oh, that would be a good one. I, I would support that. Yeah, but I yeah, think, my, my top pick would be Olivia Rodrigo. Billie Eilish would be great. I think that's why we both had the same one. We did not talk about that at all mm-hmm. before recording. And then if they were inducted, Paul, they got enough votes to get in, we'll say in 2033, <laughs> we'll say they, they get in. What are the three songs or four songs that you think that they would play at their induction ceremony? Okay. Um all the small things, of course. Yeah. Uh, what's my age again? They might do "Damn It." I don't know. They're, they're, that's tough. Once you get past all the small things, and what's my age again? It, it's kind of hard to know. I mean, probably oh, I miss you. I have a perfect lineup. What's that? So you start with a, a rocking song like "The Rock Show." Mm-hmm. You start that right. You get the blood going. You continue with another rocking song and we'll say damn it right we'll just use damn as the, the song then you go to a more mellow song and that's where you go i miss you and then you close it out with all the small things yeah that, that, that'd be a good lineup because i think adam's song's a little too dark for a ceremony and then first date i don't think it's a big enough song i mean it's a good song but i don't think it's like one you would necessarily hear at a ceremony yeah those are that would be my three or four songs that I would pick. Good lineup. I try. One final question for you, Paul. With the original lineup torn again, do you think they'll release another album together? I do. I mean, that, but, you know, maybe that's just wishful thinking. But, you know, we've seen uh, reunions uh, happen before and no new album comes out of it. It's just a, a, a t- successful tour. Uh, but I think it'd be a wasted opportunity. I mean, they're still, you know, young and can easily uh produce new material i mean then they had a song you know that 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 launched uh edging uh which of course very wholesome no no extra meaning there very interesting music video by the way we didn't talk about that one oh yeah Uh, do you want to talk about that one yeah just real quick i mean uh what's with all the 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 bunny i mean i know they've had kind of a rabbit motif uh for for a minute but yeah, every, all the bunny costumes and, and the bunnies getting slaughtered at a carnival. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I have no idea what to to think of that, quite honestly. Yeah. You, you know, my initial reaction to that song when, when I heard it, I had, you know, I was kind of lukewarm on it. I didn't dislike it, but then I heard it a few times and actually even came on our, our local pop radio station once and, and it hit just right in the car. And I was like, okay, they're back. I dig this. So I would love to see an album with material like that. So I do think it's going to happen. You know, it's not a guarantee and I'm not 
a betting man, but yeah, I think it's probably going to happen and I bet it'll coincide with a second tour or, or um, continuation or sequel to the, the tour that's going on right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious how um, that plays out. And I think they will. I think that they're smart and I think they know that they could sell a lot of records. I mean, maybe not sell a lot of records, but they can get a lot of streams for yeah. it, and then that could lead to a tour. And I think that's what yeah. I, I feel like Blink-182 is going to be one of those bands where they're going to kind of be like a legacy band going forward. And I mean, they're gonna, if, if they do record new music, it's going to be more or less to support them to continue yeah. going on the road. Um, yeah, something the super fans will buy. But I think they'll do really well on streaming. I think they will probably do better than any other active rock band on streaming. And I do think when they release an album, you know, it's not going to blow up the charts, but they'll probably have an album bomb the week the album releases on the charts. I think probably outside of them, uh, the most successful example of a legacy band that does have some chart crossover success is Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm -hmm. And I think they will um, kind of follow in a similar footsteps, but I think they'll probably see a little bit more mainstream success uh, thanks to streaming and uh, just how nostalgic and, and how much appetite there is for pop punk in general and especially the the godfathers or whatever moniker you want to give them a pop punk that they are. Um, I, I think I think they'll do well when they release an, a new album. I think so too. Yes, it, and just looking it, it, at their Spotify numbers, I mean, all the small things has almost 900 million streams. Wow. Like, and then like the next one after that is I miss you 657 million. Wow. And then almost 600 million for what's my age again. And so like, and I mean, other songs have 300, 200, 400 million streams. So to have 18 million monthly listeners on spotify that's really impressive and to have like multiple songs cross 400 500 billion that's kind of incredible i think for for that band so yeah i think that they're alive and well and i i think i said before i think they're more popular than they ever were and i see people wear t-shirts for them i see their their streaming numbers are doing well these these tour I mean, are they currently on tour, Paul? Yes. In fact, I, I have a, a friend who's um as of the time we're recording this podcast uh has gone to the Atlanta show to see them. And I think that most of the twenty twenty four uh dates are international uh in Europe. But but yeah, it's a tour that started this year and, and laps over into twenty four. Wow. I mean, good for them, but you know, I think that that's just going to continue for for this band, and it's just amazing that they haven't really put out new material, and they're just touring on just name recognition. And now that I noticed, because you pulled back a little, you are wearing oh yeah a Blink One Eighty Two T shirt, and you've been I wearing am, it the yeah. whole time. Yeah, that's yeah, funny. It, it is uh, since this is an audio podcast. This is the uh, the smiley face that I talked about earlier with the, the X's for eyes and the arrows that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that's so funny. I was like, is that? And then I didn't want to like yeah. interrupt. And then I, you turned it slightly, you would pull back slightly. And I was thinking, yeah. oh, yeah, that is totally it. So, well, that was a good way to end this show. 
And thank you, Paul, for coming on the show. I hope you had a good time talking about yeah. your first favorite band. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. It was a blast. And I appreciate you having me on. But uh, thank you again, Paul, for coming on. Well, listeners, you can, of course, follow us on, well, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we're on Threads now. This is the first episode recording that we actually have a Threads account. Yeah. So follow us at Rock and Retropod on any of those platforms. Um, and it's really weird. We celebrated our two-year anniversary. And so thank you to everyone who has supported the show and has been on the show and has contacted me. It means a lot to me. It's so weird to think now we're going to have 54 episodes done in two years. Can't believe that that's already happened. Uh, but thank you everyone for listening. And if you would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, please do and let us know what you think of this episode or any of the episodes that we've done in the archives as well. Um, thank you, Paul, again, for coming on the show. And thank you for our listeners for checking us out. And we'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm.